In Luke chapter 7 at verse 36, this is God's word, let us hear him. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning, to the wo- turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Hebrews chapter 9. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. May God be pleased to bless this reading and hearing of his word to our hearts and to our lives. May he change our lives by his word. The title of my message today is The Forgiveness of Sins. 
and it is my hope today to provoke some thought concerning three questions. What is sin? What is forgiveness of sin? And what is our response to the fact that we have been forgiven? In this passage of Scripture, in Luke chapter 7, there is an obvious and a graphic contrast between a woman who is called a sinner, and she was a very sinful woman, and a very respectable and righteous Pharisee. Remember that Luke had determined, if you go back to the first chapter, to present a very orderly account of the history of salvation as it is seen in the life of Jesus. He wanted to show what God had done through his son, Jesus. And therefore, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is seen not as a glutton or a a sinner, as many Jewish leaders called him, but one who ate with tax collectors and sinners. But he is seen in this passage of Scripture as one who is willing to be invited to a respected Pharisee's house, and yet at the same time allow a woman who was a sinner of the city to show profuse love to him. So Luke chooses this incident in Jesus' life to show how Jesus is seen by sinners as well as by the righteous. The scripture here says the woman is a sinner of the city. No doubt a, a prostitute or a harlot. And she had apparently met Jesus just recently and had experienced his love and forgiveness as she finds out where he is and, he, and she goes to show her love uh, to him because she knows that she has been delivered from her life of sin. But the Pharisee, on the other hand, is more like us. He's a faithful attender of the synagogue, no doubt a tither, respected in the Jewish community, a very hospitable man. Jesus was being presented by Luke as, as doing things that only God could do, casting out unclean spirits, healing many, making a leper whole, Restoring a paralytic to health again. Preaching with authority. Showing the difference between those who built their lives upon the foundation of God's word and those who built the their lives on the foundation of their own desires or worldliness. Luke also says Jesus raised the dead. And he proved that he had the power on earth to forgive sins. So in this picture here in Luke chapter 7, we have Jesus living in the 
midst of a diverse society, proving himself to be God's son. What a contrast between the need of a sinner and the assumption of a righteous man. We need to let Jesus' words ring out in our hearts. Why did he come? He came to bring sinners to repentance, not the righteous. But for our instruction this morning, let me digress back to my questions. What is sin? What is forgiveness? How should we respond to Jesus' forgiveness of our sins? What is sin? Do we really know and believe what the Bible says about sin and its effects upon life? Its effects upon our heart? That there is none righteous? Not one. There is none good? Not one. There is none that seeks after God? Why? Because we are dead in sin. We are always coming short of His glory. And so our Shorter Catechism question 14 asks the question, what is sin? And all of you who have grown up in the Presbyterian Church can quickly answer that question. Sin is any warn of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. We usually think of sin as just a transgression of the law and not the omission of our duties. Our sin is one's failure to obey God's law, and that can be in a lesser or greater degree. Our sin is any deliberate, or for that matter, any non-deliberate, but especially deliberate act of defiance against his law. Like saying, God, I'll do it my way, not yours. Or my way is more important than your way. My way is more understandable. John 3 and verse 4 says, Sin is lawlessness. When we reject any part of God's law, and substitute our own way, we sin. And that's not so difficult to understand, is it? We think of Adam and Eve in the, the garden. They said that, oh, that fruit looks so good. How could something that looks that good bring death? And so they substituted their own understanding under the temptation of Satan for God's word to them who said you shall die if you eat from it and Satan said you won't die and of course it wasn't the fruit that brought death it was their disobedience in eating of that fruit they took it and they ate it and they defied God and death came into their being they died that day spiritual death 
spiritual fear of God himself, spiritual nakedness. Their hearts were exposed to the truth of God's word. They lost peaceful fellowship with God and instead received the condemnation that God said would come. They died. Could they ever be forgiven? We'll we'll see that in a few minutes. Or take our own sins for another example of what sin is. It's when I start meddling now. The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And we do pretend to do that for part of the day anyway. But what about our attitude toward the Sabbath? If you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58, I want to read a couple of verses from Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. Listen carefully. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see our attitude toward this day, the Lord's day, should be to delight in Him. To think of special ways that we can delight in God on this day. To do so with our family, with our loved ones, as well as ourselves. To make God our supreme delight. You remember Jesus' words when He said, My meat, my nourishment, is to do the will of my Father in heaven. Isn't it true that if we say we are followers of Jesus, that we need to be like him? And we need to be like him in our thought life, in the activity of our lives, the way we live, and in the way we speak. Because Jesus makes it clear that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. He said that the Holy Spirit will give us the words that we need to say. And Paul tells us that we have the mind of Christ. If we're to be a follower of Jesus, we are to be like him. But if we have our feet mired in the clay of selfishness, That will not happen. If you want to understand how the Sabbath should be kept and you want to see what the Westminster Divines, uh, how they summarized how the Sabbath should be kept, question 58 of the Shorter Catechism says, what is required by this commandment? 
And then questions 59 and 60 explain that in some detail. And then question 61 asks, what is forbidden in the fourth commandment? Very instructive. If we really want to understand what the scriptures say, if we have ears to hear what God has to say. There are questions like these that go to the heart of our motives. Do we delight in God? Are we just going through the motions and living respectable lives? We all say we love question number one of the Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? And we can answer that one quickly too, can't we? The chief end of man, the main purpose for man's existence on this earth is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We like that, don't we? And we know that anything short of God's glory in our lives is sin. But what happens day by day? We're tempted to say, Lord, I just can't help but sin. But the real question is, Do we want to overcome sin? Do we want to repent? Do we want to believe and live by every word that proceeds out of his mouth? Do we really want to? Dear people, it is a fact of Scripture that we cannot change ourselves. God must do something in our hearts. He must change us from within, or else Jesus' words in John 3 are meaningless until you're born again. You cannot see, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And until that happens by the work of God's Spirit, we will be forever lost outside of fellowship with God. John 3.16 makes that plain, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. Well, the opposite is true. If we don't believe, we will perish. But if we believe, we will have everlasting life. And so God has done something, dear people. He has done something to remove us from this perishing condition which was brought about by our first parents. He brought salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He provided salvation for Adam and Eve and for us. He sends His Son to shed His blood. And when we come to the Lord's table, as you will do uh, next week, you will hear those words. I'll be here too next week. I forgot. I'm glad. I'll be here next Sunday and we'll hear the words that Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. By forgiving our first parents as well as us to restore us to fellowship with him. For you see, if there is not a restoration of fellowship or reconciliation, then then forgiveness has really not occurred. 
without the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of that particular blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. What did God do for Adam and Eve? He clothed them with the garments of skin of animals, according to Genesis 3.20. An animal had to die to cover their physical nakedness so that they could know that God also covers their spiritual nakedness. There was consequences to their sin. A loss of righteousness, driven out of the garden, unable to eat of the tree of life, and death upon mankind. But you see, God has provided another tree of life, a cross to bring them and us back to Him. They sinned. What about David? He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. What did he deserve? The wage of sin is death. And yet God sent the prophet Nathan to David who told him the Lord has put away your sin. He has forgiven you. How did God do it? How did God forgive David's sin a thousand years before Christ came? Well, He gave him a very visible example. David's own son died instead of him. David had utterly scorned the Lord. But even David could be forgiven because God pointed him to his own son, God's own son, who would come and take his place and die so that he and we could have life. God, in his love and mercy, has had his son shed his blood to die so that David and we could have eternal life. So that our sins could be forgiven and for which we praise him. What is forgiveness? It is the acquittal of all sin. It's being justified by faith in Christ. It's being covered with the blood and righteousness of of Christ so that we could stand before God just as if we had never sinned. Isn't that amazing? How does it work out in, in life? How do we see that in life? You remember the young uh, black boy who uh, walked into, uh, he wasn't black, was he? A young boy who walked into the black congregation in North Carolina and killed nine people. He was sentenced to death for it. But do you remember the words of the congregation to this young man? We forgive him because God had forgiven them so much. 
they were able to forgive. And isn't that what Paul is saying in Colossians 3? That we must forgive on the basis of God's forgiveness of us. Or did you hear of the security guard at a church in Egypt? He suspected a man of being a suicide bomber and the man wanted to enter the church to blow up uh, the, the church and the security guard made him walk through a scanner and it blew him and the guard up but saved the lives of the people in the church. And the wife of the security guard said, I forgive him. These are not natural responses, are they? They're spiritual responses in tragic occurrences. But it shows us the nature of God's forgiveness of us. Pardoning us who have offended Him. Who have fought against Him. And it is receiving people who have hurt us into fellowship. It is a demonstration of the love that we have been shown when we have been forgiven wrongs done. Just as God has forgiven us of our rebellion against Him. This can only happen because of what Christ has done. Forgiveness is based solely on the satisfying death of Jesus. We're forgiven by God because Jesus came to shed His blood on our behalf. We don't deserve it any more than our first parents did. We don't deserve it any more than David did or anybody else. But simply because Jesus died in our Place. He took the worst of sinners and took their sins and embraced them unto death so that we could go to heaven just as if we had never sinned. And of course, this is all received by faith. When you look at this uh, adulterous woman here in Luke chapter 7, she comes to demonstrate that she knows that she has already been forgiven, apparently had met Jesus recently and she came to show her love for this one who had forgiven her. The Pharisee did not have this kind of love because he did not know what forgiveness is. You see, when we know how much we have been forgiven, truly know what we have been forgiven. We will be freed to love Jesus. To love each other. To love even our enemies. And we say we can't do that. But when you have embraced Christ by faith and you want to be like Him, you see that He loved His enemies. Even you and me. If you have embraced Him, 
you know that he has forgiven you of any and all your sins, past, present, and future, completely justified before God. And so Jesus tells the Pharisee, if you love little, it's because you don't know really what forgiveness is. But if you love much, it's because you know that you have been forgiven much. Which are we like? We like the Pharisee? Or are we like this sinful woman? We will prove it by the way we live. And that's why I read from Colossians chapter 3. We will prove our, that we've been forgiven. And we've been forgiven much. When we put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That will prove by your love for others how much you know that you have been forgiven. May God speak to each of our hearts about forgiveness. We need to be convicted of sin. We need to thank Him for His forgiveness. And then we need to go and love the unlovely Put our arms around them and show the world that we know God has put his arms around us sinners. Amen? Amen? Let's pray.